Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia, I'm here with Ben Hunter, and we're sitting across from Paulina Simons. Welcome. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Ben. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's my great pleasure. And you're here to talk to us about uh, The Tiger Catcher and The End of Forever trilogy. Yes. Trilogy. Yes. Three books, one year, years in the making, um, and, and, and releasing in a rapid succession. Um, two books are already published um, and the third will come out in Australia and New Zealand in November. Um, these books tell a story that's both familiar to your audience, um, you know, the fire that ignites between two lovers and uh, the impossible lengths that people go to to preserve that fire. Yes. But it's also... A good way to describe that. I'm going to have you come with me to my book event today <laughs> and this is what you're going to say. Awesome. But this book is also, this trilogy is also wholly new for you. Yes. Um, what have you done, Paulina? What, what is this wonderful <laughs> thing? Introduce us. Well, so this wonderful thing was, um, I, I saw the story of Julian and his desperate not only love for Josephine, but also his desperate desire to change their fate as a thing that came to me all at once. So that story came to me all at once. And also that sense that I got from the very beginning that his time was running out, that there were things he was doing and failing and trying. And so the love, the desperation, the search, the uh, monumental effort to, to... to do things differently, that came to me at once. And I, I couldn't quite figure out what it was that he was doing. And then it immediately came to me that he was trying to relive what he could with her so that he could somehow affect a different end for both of them. Mm. And this is the part that he just couldn't get right because he didn't know how to do it. And so that all came to me at once. So the beginning of that story about him, them not being able to uh, to stay together, and then him searching for her, and him failing to help them and to save her, and also her um, loving him and yet being unable to be the very best thing that she could be. All of that came to me in one very heady two-hour period. So the whole story was born to me. It never happened to me before. It's never happened to me with any of my books. I would get a glimpse of things, a naked body in the snow, uh, a soldier and his beloved walking through war-torn Leningrad, but I never, ever before had this thing that came to me all at once. And because of that, I knew that um, this is how it had to be. So what's interesting is, yes, it took five years, and yes, it got a lot long. I I knew it was going to be epic, because I saw the monumental scope of it, but I didn't realize how epic until I got into it. And then then once I finally liberated myself from worrying that it could not be one book, then the whole thing really, really opened up, rushed forth, yeah. And... Uh, but what's interesting is is how close to that original vision all three of my books have remained. It's just astonishing that I literally saw the beginning and what happened and the end from from the get-go. Two-hour period. Yeah. Where, where were so, you? What were you doing? So I want to tell you, so next time that you need some ideas, I highly recommend How to Catch, How to Train Your Dragon too. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't know what to tell you. This is how it happened. <laughs> I was not ready for that. That's brilliant. Um, how to train your dragon chick. Not one. Sure. No, very important that it was the first one I actually paid attention to. The second one, I saw nothing. I literally I could tell you nothing about that movie. However, at the end you of that movie, look what I got. <laughs> uh, the Tiger Catcher uh, begins in Hollywood. Um, yeah. uh, we meet Julian, who makes his way through the world as um, a life hack writer. Yeah. Um, and he has. Uh, a, a kind of small world with mm-hmm. a really, I love his buddy Ashton. Yeah. He's just oh, gorgeous. He's, <laughs> and you're going to continue like in Beggar's Kingdom, there is a lot, lot more of their friendship. So, um, And of course his world is completely upended yes. by the arrival of Josephine. Yes. Um, why Hollywood? Why? Because it was, so, and then why London? So <laughs> both things, I actually... It, it was very important to me that it was first said in a land that kind of speaks to us as a fairy tale land. It seems like a fantasy world, right? A world of dreams and a city that's built on dreams. And a city that's built on dreams, and especially when love comes to you, you think that you think that um, nothing bad could ever happen. And that's a little bit how it seems that he oh, he's already living a pretty good life, but sort of a very comfortable life. We know that he suffered long ago and he's had to remake himself into this hack writer into into life hack writer that this is his second career so to speak or mm. his third career this is not his life's dream but when he meets her he realizes how um you know just how unfull i would say his life really was and and that she gives him something that he didn't even know he, he wanted and was looking for but so that it sets in this fairy tale land, and then when it goes south, that fairy tale land loses all magic for him, and so then he's got to come to a city that has real magic, and that city is London. You see, so Hollywood has movie magic, and maybe had that fake dream magic, but London, though it's set, it's so gritty and it's so grounded in reality. But London is built on myth. And uh, and their own and, and, and its own legend, and in London, um, uh, all the technological advances are responsible for the magic that he finds. Mm-hmm. So there, you're sort of grounded in 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 science and uh, you know and and um, sort of empirical things that. M- you know, people do and that they build, uh, and then they work on that they develop, they research, and yet. What comes to him through London is this ability to to go back in time, <laughs> which is really quite. And but it, how does he do it? You know, he does it through technology. He does it through science, right? He he finds a place that that an astronomer found that that built the line of longitude, and this line of longitude has magic in it. It's literally the meridian that it's like a celestial place. I love it. That's really interesting. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of the first time you've dipped your toe into that kind of... It is. It's not full on magical realism, but it's still not realism yeah. either. Yeah. How have your readers responded to that? Well, some of them are not, um, I would say they're not used to that, but most of them are with me for the ride, I would say. And sometimes you're right. Sometimes 
this isn't somebody's necessarily cup of tea, but what I'm hoping is, is that, is that the real love and sort of the grounding in reality that it, that it, and it's also not Julian's cup of tea. So I introduce, I bring the reader in through Julian himself. When Julian realizes that he's got this ability, or this opportunity rather, to do this, he doesn't say, let's go. He says, what are you talking about? Mm. What, why, what are you saying? He does not believe it himself. And I want, I want that too. I want that sense of he doesn't believe it and the reader doesn't believe it. And then we, we go on the journey with him which is why I don't make it like a dream of genie moment. I don't do that thing where you blink and you're suddenly in another world. There is a struggle for him, right? There is a, a journey, another, his own journey for him to get to the other side where she might be or might not be. And so again, it's a great leap of faith. And so again, that ties into the mystical as well as the physical and the metaphysical altogether. So it was, it was really important for me to do that to bring him into it, but also to bring maybe the slightly reluctant reader into it. So I'm, I'm hoping that they'll, they'll see that it's, it's meant to tell this story of this adventure between uh, these two people, and that, and that Julian's devotion to her is, is really something that's, that's worthwhile to read about, I guess. Um, and Julian himself is the departure for you as well. Um, yes. We were speaking about this earlier that um, for you, writing the male perspective was mm -hmm. completely natural, um, but uh, it was a surprise for your readers. Yes. Um, uh, how has how has that been going for you? Well, so I, I what I've seen is what I've seen is is that if if the readers are coming to me from a world in which they've read a number of different kinds of books, they completely get it, are with me, identify with it. They just love it. Everything about it they love. I've 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 seen that. But if you if they're coming to me from say from a just a romance background where you've got a you know a very specific set of rules and most of them do involve a female protagonist. The female protagonist needs to be a certain kind of a girl and then she meets the boy and she's not sure about the boy and the boy appears to like her but he's got these problems and and then but finally he comes good in the end but not before she realizes that she's okay without him, you know that sort of thing. And so we know you the story. No, we know the story <laughs> and and but that's okay. But if suddenly you're reading only his point of view and you never see inside her soul you only see her soul from his soul it's sometimes jarring i would say that some people uh, you know ha have have not been able to perhaps um like it as much as i had hoped that they would because of that but uh but the other people have loved it completely and got mm -hmm. it in the way that i meant to tell it so and it seems to me that this is Julian's story from the get-go from that yeah it's their love story but it is his quest and she remains a mystery to him as she does to us because that's the way she's supposed to be she's supposed to be a mystery that's revealed to us and and um and I and eventually uh, believe me she absolutely uh, like little by little layers of her are peeled away so that you get to know her and in beggar's kingdom especially you get to know her extremely well she's got her own woman's journey that has to do with him, but also is not to do with him. You know, she's trying to be an independent woman, her own thing, the thing that she wants during times 
during history where women were not allowed to do anything or be anything, and yet she's desperately trying to be this thing. Now, yes, we only see that from Julian's point of view, but my goodness, does that come across very vividly? You know, I, well you know, and her, and her, and you know, sort of her own, her own arc, her own character uh, evolution. I would say. Um, countless readers have fallen in love with Tatiana and Alexander um, over generations of reading now, um, or at least a generation of a reading. A generation, <laughs> yeah. It's astonishing that it is what it is, yeah. Um, and now we have two new um, lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, do you feel like you've you've given uh, Tatiana especially, so many people have fallen in love with her. Do you feel like the, that you don't necessarily own her anymore, that you've given her away to a readership and, and are you now going through a process of, of giving away a, a, a new pair of characters. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel that, I feel that quite strongly. I really do not, I feel, <laughs> sometimes I feel a little bit like um, Kurt Vonnegut in that movie Back to School where where Rodney Dangerfield hires Kurt Vonnegut to come and do his report on Kurt Vonnegut mm. because he, can, as a billionaire, and can afford it. And so Kurt Vonnegut comes in and gives a report on Slaughterhouse-Five and the teacher listens to him and says, it's clear to me that you know absolutely nothing about Kurt Vonnegut, the teacher says. So that's a little bit how I feel a little bit about when I talk about my own characters to my readers. They are so possessive about them. They're so protective of them. And they have their own opinions about them that are so strong that if I weigh in with anything, they're like, no, 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 this is not right. This is not what we think. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, so yeah, I, I think it's I a really, sign yeah, that you've yeah, nailed it. So I do agree with you. I think that they that they absolutely have now... I mean, it's no longer mine. It's mm. it's theirs, and they have their own relationship with not only her but uh, but him. See, for me, I loved them both, and so I wrote them both equally with 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 love in my heart for both of them because I knew them both so well. Uh, and the readers clearly have divided loyalties because <laughs> they just adore him, but they also really really love her. But when things happen in the books between them. They just don't know who, who they're to root for. On the one hand, they're saying, how could she do that to poor Alexander? But then they say, how could he do that to her? So there's 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 really a very like strong, intense online community that has nothing to do with me but has to do with Tatiana and Alexander that's that's quite quite heartening and also scary. <laughs> <laughs> it seems they've cast a really long shadow. Do you still feel the pressure to replicate that success when you're writing or you feel confident in your story? That's a very good question, Olivia. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not even so much that I feel the pressure to, how did you put it, to maybe tell another story with a different set of characters. Because my readers who love Tatiana and Alexander don't want me to create new characters. They just want them somehow again they just basically want another thing that made them feel like they felt for Tatiana and Alexander and my whole point is I've already done that story that story is done and if you wanted to read that story we have it it's it's there it's 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 you know I've told a trilogy in seven books so <laughs> you can you can go on and 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 um and immerse yourself in that world but I've I now sort of have moved moved forward 
from that 20 years hence, and I want to tell different stories. But every time I do, it keeps coming back to, they're not Tatiana and Alexander. <laughs> they're not Tatiana. And so then I write Lone Star, where I literally almost like address my audience. To, I'm almost like look at the camera and say, look at me. I take them by the lapels and say, there are other love stories there. It's not the only love story. This is what I say in Lone Star. There are other ways that we can, everything is a love story. Create your own love story. Take your own bus. Live your own life. Love the next person. I tell them this, and then they read it and say, yeah, it's not like Tatiana and Alexander. I mean, it was good. You know? So it really, I... I You're doomed. Yeah, I keep coming back. <laughs> so then I'm, I'm saying, so I think one of my next few projects that I'm noodling on is actually a return to the bronze horseman world. But yeah, I was, I was thinking about a series of stories about Anthony, about their son and his life. But now I'm a little bit concerned about that because that would also be from Anthony's point of view. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I hope that they're going to be with me for that one. But I, I would like to very much tell, tell a little bit of that story if I can. Wow. Um, I want to ask some questions about your reading life. Okay. Um, because I read that as a very young girl in Leningrad, you read in Russian Dickens, Tolstoy... Uh, Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo. Jules Verne. <laughs> Alexander Dumas. <laughs> yes, but then I came to America and I stopped reading. All I started was doing was watching Happy Days. That's what happened. <laughs> I read all that stuff in Russian. Then I came to the U.S. and I was like, who was needs to read? Was it because state TV was so boring? Yeah, there was <laughs> nothing. Literally nothing. I mean, there was. what else was there for me to do? There was, yeah, so that's why I, I read. So some of it clearly went over my head. I mean, I was seven years old. There's a lot of adult stuff in those books where, you know, I'm, I'm just not getting it. But that's okay. I got so much other stuff. My lifelong love for Paris is from those books. My, you know, the way I feel about, and also think about all those books. They're all with a male protagonist. Mm -hmm. I don't think mm -hmm. I've read a book with a female protagonist until Jane Eyre. That's extraordinary. I mean, yes, okay, I may have read that in Russian also, maybe I think I was in Rome at the time when I read it, but, but, but still, I was, but I was um, uh, still so young, you know, and, and, and all of my other reading life was all with a male-dominated adventures. Mm. So that's another thing I think is why it was easier for me to say, I can write from Alexander's point of view, or I can write from Julian's point of view, or Spencer's in, in my, um, in the uh, Girl in Times Square and Red Leaves Mysteries, um, I wrote from his point of view there. Do you think all that reading helped you to develop a, a sense of possibility about the life that you could invent for yourself as an American woman about leaving everything behind and starting you know, on the other side of the world or? So I think what it did for me is make me feel that there were adventures out there that I couldn't maybe either wait to have or couldn't wait to see if I could bring about in my own stories. That sense of reading and being enveloped in in other people's work was an astonishing thing to like a little Russian girl, you know, lying in her bed in a, in a small, you know, fishing village with no running water and no electricity. And I'm reading about all these incredible things. Um, I think that it, it, it made me feel that 
many things were possible. That's what reading did for me. That I just saw all these other lives and all these other adventures, but I saw them with my own eyes. I felt it with my own heart. And that's an incredible thing. And so I, I wanted to become a writer, so maybe I could eventually, maybe. I mean, I didn't know if I could, but I wanted to make, to see if I could move other people with my own stories. Like these stories have like transformed me. Mm. Mm. When you read today, what do you what do you look nothing. for? Nothing. I read nothing because all nothing? I do is is write. I write <laughs> and I read my own books. If you want to ask me about my own books, no, no. I mean, I read. So I read a little bit after I finished writing my um, sort of the the time travel. So I read some time travel books. So like I read uh, Guns of the South, which is uh, a, a, like a, a, a weird time travel story where somebody from South Africa gives the Confederate Army sells them AK forty sevens and changes the course of the American Civil War. So the South wins the war. But it was the South Africans that gave him the guns. So, oh, wild. oh that was wild. That was incredible. <laughs> I know, it was, that was from the get-go. So like stuff like that, or Timeline by Michael Crichton I read, just because okay. it was really quick. But also, but he is very clever. You know, he knows a lot about science, and I really enjoyed reading all his technological stuff. Uh, hey, that's the other that. departure for this, these books is is the speed which this yeah, saga yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. unfolds. Yeah, it was, and you just you just can't you just can't. And even in Beggar's Kingdom, like Beggar's Kingdom is the longest of the books, but even there, every one of those stories, all you want to do is, oh my God, what happens? What's going to happen? Thank you for talking to me so profoundly about about actually about writing. I really enjoyed that. Thank oh, you. It's been a pleasure thank having you, you here. Yeah, thank thanks you for very writing. much. So you can order your copy of um, The Tiger Catcher or any of the End of Forever series and indeed the rest of Paulina Simon's books from booktopia.com.au or from your local bookstore. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, Head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.